Thank you, Pastor. Amen. And good morning, church family. Well, where do we come from? Well, we are from Alaska, the great state of Alaska, and uh, we're a little we're a little out of area. We took a wrong turn and we ended up in Boise. And uh, but we want to say good to have you. Listen, if you're a guest here, you're a very special visitor to us, and I've already got to meet some of you, and appreciate uh, your taking the time to be with us. And it is my intention not to waste the time, but to invest it wisely. Let's go to the book of Revelation this morning. Revelation chapter 1, and as I'll let you remain seated, Revelation chapter 1, if you need a handout, there is a handout in your bulletin, it's a little worksheet that I've developed, every message I'll bring this week will have a worksheet, you can fill in some blanks if you'd like to, if you need one, raise your hand, or if you need a pen, Brother Tim and all those ushers are going to scamper forward, so just slip your hand up if you need a handout, if you need a pen, and they'll get those to you. All right, Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And a lot of times when we come to the book of Revelation, a lot of times people say, well, I've heard that before. Uh, This is just another one of those series telling me what's going to happen next. And I want to just say this morning as we start this series, be prepared. This series is very unique. It's a relatively newer series the Lord put on my heart. And with all my heart, I believe it'll plumb your heart because we're going to be looking at Revelation in a very unique way, and you'll catch it this morning in the very first message. And some of you say, well, I'm just going to come this morning. I really don't plan to come back. Listen, the least you should do is come back and see how you can get through the entire book of Revelation in five messages. Because I know your pastor can't do that. I was in the Sunday school with Brother David. He... he, He has no chance of doing that, you know. And by the way, Brother David, that was a blessing. I thoroughly enjoyed being fed. It's rare that I get to sit in a class and hear the teaching and preaching of God's Word, but I, like you, need recharged as well, and that was such a blessing. But the book of Revelation, what an interesting book. The only prophetic book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 1. Let's stand together, and I want to begin reading in verse number 1. Revelation chapter 1. Verse number one, the Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh. He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Oh, this morning, with the Lord's help, 
I would like to share with you the portrait of our king. I would like to focus out of Revelation chapter 1 at the portrait of our king. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the incredible honor and privilege we have to be gathered with your people, to call upon you as not simply our God, but our heavenly Father, to know your Son, this soon returning King, as our Savior. And we ask this morning in Jesus' name that you would bless the preaching, the teaching, and the hearing of your word. We pray for the one among us who does not know what lies ahead. They do not know where they will spend eternity. They're unsure after death where they would go. I pray this morning, Father, that you would speak to their heart in this message. May they come to know your Son as their personal Savior. Father, may they secure their eternity in Jesus Christ. And for each of us that are saved, help us not to have a low view of our returning King, but help us, Father, to have a high view. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Revelation chapter 1, we see the portrait of our king. As we begin this thought this morning, I want to first of all begin thinking and looking upon the purpose for the book of Revelation. Why is the book of Revelation even a part of our Bible? Why is it here? What is the, the purpose of the book of Revelation? Well, obviously, there's an obvious purpose, and it is to show us things to come, but if that's all you look at the book of Revelation as, is something telling you what's going to happen next, you miss the highest reasons and purpose for the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation's highest purpose is to reveal or unveil the person of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 1, it says, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of him. This is the highest purpose of the book of Revelation. Do you know the primary focus in the book of Revelation is the person of Jesus Christ? The ultimate theme throughout the book of Revelation is the person of Jesus Christ. The central figure in the book of Revelation is the person of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I thought it was all about the plagues and the one world cashless society and all those things that are coming. Yes, they're there. But on this grand stage of the future, all of those events just play a supporting role for the main actor whose name is Jesus Christ. But like an orchestra, as you go through the book of Revelation, you'll see the events surrounding this this supporting cast begins to increase in tempo begins to increase in intensity until the symbol crash of his return to earth physically in revelation 19 in verse 11 you see it is not as much about what is coming as it is who is coming in fact revelation 19:10 tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And as you and I approach Christmas, we're always reminded by the public that Jesus is the reason for the season. But as you approach the book of Revelation, never forget this, Jesus Christ is the focus of the future. This book is all about him. And so the first purpose, a very high purpose, is to reveal or unveil the person of Jesus Christ. But second of all, it has a second great high purpose, and it's this. It's intended to bless 
and encourage God's people. Notice in Revelation chapter 1 who this was originally penned to. Verse number 4, the Bible says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace. Who were these seven churches? What was the background as this original letter was written to them? Well, you need to understand these seven churches of Asia are under the Roman emperor Domitian. And prior to Domitian, they'd been under the heathen Roman emperor by the name of Nero. And under the boot and heel of these two emperors, as Rome burned, believers got blamed for the conflagration and persecution got ratcheted up to an incredible degree against Christians. Nero was that emperor that would take Christians and tar them, impale them on a post alive, and torch them as lights for his parties and his orgies. He was the one that would feed them to the lions. I mean, you need to understand, these seven churches, as this letter comes to them, they are under incredible, intense persecution, tribulation, trials. They're watching relatives hauled to their death and murdered in front of their eyes. This is, these people are under real persecution. And I could say this, I believe to some of those children growing up in those Christian homes, they probably looked at Christianity as a curse, not a blessing. All they'd ever seen and known was death and tribulation. Go to Psalm 73. I want to just do a little sidebar and note something because if you and I aren't careful sometimes in the midst of the trials, we can come to a false conclusion as a believer about being a Christian. Notice in Psalm 73, I believe many in Revelation 1, those seven churches, many of them felt that Christianity was a curse, not a blessing, almost as if God was against them, not for them. And notice in Psalm 73, the psalmist echoes this sentiment. Look at how he begins in Psalm 73 and verse 1. He begins with a great truth. He says, truly, God is good. Look up for just a moment. Could I just say that our God, the true and living God, is a good God, not a bad God. Amen? <laughs> He's a good father, not a bad father. In spite of your life experiences, this God is a good God. I love how the psalmist poised with the pen in the multiple choice question, who is God? A, good. B, bad. C, indifferent. D, I don't know. And he poises with his pen and he goes, I got it. God's a good God. I know the answer. And he checks the box. He saw the goodness of God, but then notice in the experience of life how things change because he says in verse 1, truly God is good, but then look at what he says in verse 2, but as for me, you ever been there? Well, I know the theological truth, God's good. But right now I don't feel like he's being good to me. You been there? Amen? In the experience of life, this, this simple truth begins to evaporate. And notice what was causing him the problem. He's bewildered and perplexed because he cannot understand the peace, prosperity, and personal blessings of the lost. Look at what he says. Verse 3, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
Verse 4, there are no bands in their death. Verse 5, they're not in trouble like other men, and obviously thinking of himself. Verse 7, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have, they have more than heart could wish. Verse 12, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches, and look at his short-sighted conclusion to what he sees. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. When I thought to know this, verse 16, it was too painful for me. The psalmist here, here knows the goodness of God. He knows the truth, but in the experience of life, he cannot understand the blessings of God on those that hate him. He's bewildered and perplexed by that. I've been there. I've been on the road with our motor home and broken down at 1 o'clock in the morning, trying to get to the next meeting, wanting to promote the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, and while I'm there, the Prevost bus goes by with five air conditioners the rock band on its way to its next concert and sitting there with grease up to my armpits, I almost look and say, hey, what's up with this? But I say this, don't ever say I've wasted my time serving him, Christian. And don't ever draw eternal conclusions from temporary events. For it's the final score that always matters, even in the game of life. And notice what he does. He, he gets a glimpse of glory in verse 17. He says, and then I went into the sanctuary of God, and then understood I therein. He said, I went to the church house, and I got my vision refocused. I went to the house of God, and I got to see the big picture. And look at what he says. Verse 22, so foolish was I and ignorant. Verse 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with me. Verse 24, God, you'll guide me with your counsel. And at the end of this thing, you'll receive me to glory. And whom have I in heaven but thee? In verse 28, it's good for me to draw near to God. I say this this morning as we move through this thought. If you're saved, never judge the outcome of the Christian experience by a single day. Amen? Never judge the outcome of your Christian walk and experience by a single month, a single year, or even a tragic event. For it's the final score that matters. And the big picture is this. If you're saved, this king who's returning is returning for you, and you are on the winning side. Amen? It doesn't matter what the first inning looks like. It doesn't matter what the seventh inning looks like. At the end of this whole thing... Because you chose Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are forever on the winning side. Amen? It doesn't matter how you get there, you'll be there. It's the final score that matters. Go back to Revelation 1, and that's what Revelation is showing these believers. In the midst of trials, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of tragedy, he's reminding them of the big picture. You are on the winning side. You don't belong to just anybody. You belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and his kingdom will have no end. The purpose of the book of Revelation is to reveal and unveil Jesus Christ, but second of all, to bless and encourage his people. Notice there's a blessing in this book. Verse 3 tells us in Revelation 1, Blessed is he that readeth. I want to say this morning, there's a blessing in the book. Amen? And I meet people all the time who are saved, say, but I, I, I want a blessing. You know what I say? Read the book. 
There's a blessing in the book. Preacher, I, and I, I need encouragement. Read the book. There's a blessing in the book. Preacher, I, I'm discouraged and I need lifted up. Read the book. There's a blessing in this book. Turn your news off and get into the good news of God's Word. A king is coming and he's your king. Amen? There's a blessing in the book, but there's a blessing in the blood. Look at verse 5. At the end of that verse, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And then there's a blessing in the blessed hope. Verse 7. Behold, he cometh. I want to herald it this morning. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. Jesus Christ is coming again as he promised. He is coming but i wonder who this king is who's coming look with me in revelation chapter 1 look with me in verse number 10 john says this in revelation 10 or revelation 1 and verse 10 he says i was in the spirit on the lord's day and and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying i am alpha and omega the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And he lists those seven churches. In verse 12, it says this, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. John hears a voice behind him that identifies himself as the Alpha and Omega. And John says, And I turned to see, in essence, who he was you know artists for centuries have attempted to convey on canvas the portrait of Jesus Christ they've attempted to capture the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ I I think as a farm boy in Minnesota the little congregational church my family attended I can think of two portraits up on the platform one on each side that portrayed Jesus Christ in a very unique way. One of them was a scene of Jesus Christ at night out in the fields and hills surrounded by sheep. Maybe you remember the portrait. And, and he was kneeling at a rock and he was looking up. A beam of light was coming down and, and there he was in the night. And I know what the artist was trying to show you. He was trying to reveal to every one of us Jesus Christ the the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, would become the Lamb of God, sacrificed for sinners. He was portraying the work of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. I remember another portrait on the other side. It was a night scene as well. There was a door with a lattice work and light shining through. No knob on the door. And, and Jesus Christ was outside with his fist poised to knock on the door. And there, there the art, artist was portraying to you out of the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The doorknob on the inside. There was Jesus Christ desiring fellowship with his creation, with his people. And that was what the artist wanted to portray. The Savior asking for entrance into your heart and into your assembly to fellowship with you. All of these portraits, they're out there by the hundreds. As I've looked at them, they've only managed to capture the humanity of Jesus Christ. And here as John turns to see, it's almost as if Jesus Christ is saying, John, 
Let me show you a side of me that no artist has ever painted. John, let me show you who I really am in all of my glory. And John turns to see, and look what's said here in verse 12. The Bible says, and I turn to see. The voice is spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance as, as was the sun shineth in his strength. And John says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Jesus seems to say, John... Turn around, and let me show you who I really am. John turns and looks, and the first thing he sees, he sees Jesus Christ portrayed as his great high priest in verse number, number 13. He saw the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Gold, speaking of deity. John, you want to know who I really am? I'm your only royal mediator. I'm the only one between you and God that can make a difference for eternity. John looks and he sees even more. He sees him portrayed second of all as the ancient of days. Look in verse 14. John says his head and his hairs were white like wool. As white as snow, speaking of purity and speaking of timelessness and age and wisdom. And it says and his eyes were as a flame of fire. He sees Jesus Christ as the Ancient of Days. He sees Him in all of His wisdom and knowledge. The eyes of fire speak of that penetrating gaze. You ever experienced that? You ever met somebody that could just hold you with their eyes and plumb your soul? Every time I cross the border in Canada, I have that experience. I call it the customs official. If you know me for any amount of time, I'm, I'm a bit of a cut-up. I like to joke. You ever notice when you do that, it really doesn't change their expression? I go through those things sometimes, and I have nothing wrong. I, I'm totally legal, but they ask questions, and they just stare into your soul to see how you're going to answer it. And I start sweating like I'm guilty. And I start acting guilty, and I've been pulled aside for extra searches. I hate those moments. And yet any custom official I've ever met knows so little about me. And yet the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding, let's personalize it, your evil, but also your good. John, you want to know who I really am? John, I'm not just that little lamb that died at Calvary. John, I'm just not that one knocking on the door hoping you open it. No, John, I am the Ancient of Days, and I know everything about you. I know more about you than you even know about you. John sees him even further, and he sees him in verse 15 revealed as his omnipotent judge. His, he said his feet were like brass, like unto brass, which speaks of judgment, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice John says they were as the sound of many waters. 
I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but years ago, Deb and I decided to go to Niagara Falls. We'd never been there. We heard the Canadian side had the better views, so we saddled up with a motorhome, and a handful of our children went with us, and up to Canada we went to see Niagara Falls. Unbelievable. I remember we went down to the shops to begin to poke about, and we saw this one shop called The Maid of the Mist. I said, well, what's that? And the guy explained to me, he said, you know what? You pay your little fare, you get on this vessel, and the skipper will take you right up to the base of the falls. I mean, you'll just be a matter of feet away from where the falls, the hundreds of thousands of gallons and tons of water are pounding, and you'll get an up-close and personal experience. And I, I said, man, that's me, man. I like that. And so I paid the fare thereof. We boarded this, this huge vessel, and they handed us little purple slickers little purple raincoats. I thought, what's that about? And we obeyed and put them on. I remember as that vessel with a few hundred of us on there began to wend its way and chug its way to the base of the cascading falls. I don't, I don't know how this happened, but that giant boat just began to shrink in size. It got smaller and smaller. I mean, I almost felt like saying that iconic statement, you're going to need a bigger boat, you know. And I remember that skipper pulled us right up to the base of the falls, and he turned it, and as the, as the suction and undertow and all those hundreds of thousands of tons of gallons of water pounded and seemed to want to claw us in, he powered that thing up and held us right there at the very base of it, rocking, and the mist coming out, and now I knew what the slickers were for, and just it was just wanting to drag us in and destroy us. And I remember as I stood there with my wife, I wanted to communicate with her. It was like lip syncing. There was no, if I wanted to talk to her, I had to cup my hands and just shout into her ear to overcome the roar of those waters when I see the voice of many waters I see that kind of power and volume coming from Jesus Christ do you understand there is coming a day that his will be the only voice that's heard as he thunders his decree personally and collectively, as he puts you in the spotlight and thunders his judgment, do you understand the voice of the rebel? It will be sounded out. He'll drown out the voice of the rebellious. He'll drown out the voice of the haters. He'll drown out the voice of the rejectors. And his will be the only voice that matters and that's heard. Push. Sound of many waters, John. John, let me show you who I really am. I'm not that innocent Jew that died on Calvary. No, I've, I've got a lot more than that. John, I'm bigger than that. I'm your omnipotent judge, and one day I'll pronounce sentence, and what I say is it. There'll be no appeals. And then John sees him as the conquering king. Look at what's said in verse 16, John said, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, speaking of his word. And his countenance was as the sun shineth 
in his strength. John said, as I beheld him, I could not even stare directly at him. It was as if I was looking at the sun. It would just burn me up. And somebody says, what, what is this? Who is this Jesus Christ with his head and his hair white as wool, with the garments that are golden, with, with his feet like unto brass, thundering his decree, piercing, penetrating gaze, and so bright you cannot stare at him completely. Somebody says, who exactly is Jesus Christ. I like the prophet Isaiah. He said, I'll tell you who he is. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father, and he is forever the Prince of Peace. Paul says to the church at Colossae, I'll tell you who this Jesus is in all of his glory. He is the one in whom dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in a single package. And he turns to young Peter and he said, He is the blessed and only potentate. I think sometimes... We have a misplaced idea of who Jesus Christ is in all of his fullness when he returned to this earth. I think sometimes we get the idea that when Jesus Christ comes back, he's just a third of God. You know, he's the Son. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and here comes a third of God. He's just this little delegated portion. He's just this little slice of God. No. Jesus said, I'll tell you who I really am. And when Jesus Christ returns, he does not come back as a little piece of God. He returns as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the one which is and which was and forever shall be, the Almighty God. That's who Jesus Christ is in all of his fullness and glory. And when John saw this, Look with me in verse 17. Look at how John responds when he sees Jesus Christ in all of his glory and all of his majesty when he sees the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ. Look at what's said in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Wow. You know, when John saw Jesus Christ for who he really was, I know John got a glimpse of that at the Mount of Transfiguration, but he didn't see all of it till right now. John the Beloved, John who loved Jesus, he was the closest disciple. He was the closest one to Jesus Christ. And when he finally sees Jesus Christ for all of his glory and all of his majesty and all of his deity, he was not flippant or casual toward this king. He fell at his feet as dead. Wow. You know, others did the same. Isaiah in chapter 6 said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. How did he respond to that person, Jesus Christ, the King of kings? He said, woe is me. I am undone. I am unclean. Job said this, I, I heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. Man, I've heard all kinds of things about you, but, but now mine I seeth thee. I get to see who you really are. And he writes this, wherefore I abhor myself, I hate myself, and repent in dust and ashes. I look at who responded here at this moment, and it was not somebody who didn't know Jesus Christ. It was someone that knew him intimately. 
And John, the closest one, he responds this way. John, the beloved. And let me just say this. If John responded that way, well, how much more you and me? There is such a low view of Jesus Christ today. He's just a buddy to pal with. He's just a drop-kick-me-Jesus through the goalposts of life kind of guy. Y'all with me? He's just a friend. that You know, he understands. And listen, he is a gentle shepherd. But you understand, he could have revealed himself any way here as the final glimpse, glimpse to every one of us. And he chose to say, let me tell you who I really am. You need to know this so you respond properly to me. People all the time say, why, is there such a, why do people live such low lives today? Why do politicians live such low lives today? Why do people all across America live low lives, sinful, wicked lives, and they think nothing about it? There's a simple answer, because they have a low view or no view of Jesus Christ. That's why. That's it. Because when John got the high view, even John fell on his face and crumbled before this king who loved him. How much more, you and me? I remember years ago, we were in Corridan, Indiana. If you know anything about Corridan, it's the home of Lucas Oil. And old man Lucas and his team changed the oil one time on our motorhome. It was kind of nice to meet everybody down there. And we were coming into Corridan, Indiana, to a little church on a Saturday to preach a Sunday through Wednesday conference, just like we're doing here. I remember as we came into the church and parked on the southwest corner, the pastor came out to meet me. It was probably 3 in the afternoon. He said, now, preacher, here's the power, here's this. And by the way, you need to keep an eye on the weather because we have a major front heading this way. It's supposed to hit us about midnight, and many tornadoes, there's hail, there's severe weather, and you need to be tuned into that. And here's a key to the church house in case you have to get in. And here's the Internet code so you can keep an eye on what's going on. So I thanked him and immediately got inside and tuned in. And I went to look where this weather was coming from, and this guy wasn't kidding. This was that summer a few years ago, that spring, where you had massive amounts of storms come through about every two or three weeks that cut through the Midwest, through the central United States. And I looked at what was coming. It was many hundreds of miles away. And you know how they color code those things? They got, they got yellow or green, then they go yellow. Then heavier rain gets to be a little orange, you know, and then you got red, and then really bad gets to be kind of purple, and then there's deep purple, you know what I mean? And this whole thing, man, it was about a 500-mile, 600-mile front, and, and, and it, there was red and purple and violet and deep purple all through this thing. I began to check the counties, tornado watches, tornado warnings, golf ball-sized hail, uh, you know, damaging winds, severe thunderstorm warnings. I mean, 25 warnings in this thing. And I begin to, you know, you do the time-lapse thing. You watch the radar, see where it's going. Bam, it's coming right at us. Oh, yeah. It's 60 mile an hour forward speed. And I just calc it, you know, kind of He's right. Midnight, this sucker's going to hit us. Now, let me tell you something who I am. I'm a tornado chaser. I photographed my first tornado when I was 15 years old in Minnesota, Yaya Betcha. And I love them in the daytime. But at night? <laughs> you can't see them coming. You only hear them, and then it's a tad too late. So I'm the biggest cluck that ever lived at night. 
So I come to Deb. I said, "Hun, this doesn't look good. Let's get our bedding in there. We got everything set up, got the key, made sure the door was unlocked, not fumbling with a key on our way in, you know. And I begin to track this monster that was heading our way. 10 o'clock comes. It's dark now. The wind's beginning to pick up. You can feel the coolness of the front. It's starting to blow. Uh, back off in the, down in the, uh, out in where it's coming from, it looks like an artillery barrage. Lightning everywhere. 11 o'clock comes, man. It's starting to pick up now. The flecks of rain are coming in, you know. You can hear the distant thunder of the approaching monster. About 11.30, I remember I'm watching this thing. I said, man, about a half hour it'll be here. 11.30, all of a sudden, poof, all the power goes out in the entire town. I lose my electronic eyes, and right about then, the tornado siren, about 200 yards in front of us, goes on right then. I don't have long hair, but what I had stood straight up. It's like, ah. Mom said, what do you want to do? I said, I think we need to go inside. And so we gathered everything up and went inside. But I can't just sit there so I go to the big glass doors that are looking out the monster's going to come from right it's not you pastor right (laughs) over sometimes it is but not today right over there Stephen was with me I'll never forget that my youngest son and so we're leaning on the door. The rain is pelting. The lightning is just going berserk. Peals of thunder, thunder, thunder. The trees are just whipping, you know. And we're leaning into that door, looking out, looking out. He said, Dad, what's up? I said, hey, man, we got nasty stuff coming. I don't know how big, how bad, but it's on the way. It Probably another 15 minutes it's going to be here. And I'll never forget, we're looking there. And about 300 yards out, it dropped into a field. There was a tree line. And about five minutes to midnight... All of a sudden, you could hear, you could hear it coming. It had that low rumble. You felt it first like a freight train, that low-frequency rumble. And then whatever that monster was out there, you begin to hear the roar, and all of a sudden, it came sweeping up out of that valley. It hit those tree lines, and the lightning showed, and man, things begin to fly. And Stephen said, what's that, Dad? I said, yeah, it's time to go see Mom. And I remember running in, and, and as we hunkered down on that inside wall, you heard the beast go over. I remember the next morning we, we got up, I looked out, tree limbs everywhere, no major dent. Motorhome was still there. That was nice. And I came to find out that a funnel cloud had gone right over the church house and three miles later tapped down on the other side of town. Of course, I want to know how big. And so I turned to the pastor when he brought me the news. I said, how big was that thing? And this is what he said. It was an EF0. I don't know if you know what that means. EF1, little damage. EF2, more damage. EF3, major damage. EF4, your house is collapsed on the foundation. Not one thing's held together. EF5, it sweeps the foundation completely clean. <laughs> completely clean. You know what an EF0 is? <sighs> your sister shouldn't be afraid of that. It's like... I I literally, I stood there for a second. I said, I ran for cover from an EF-0. I was like, oh, what a wimp. 
I'm going to tell you something. I heard it. <laughs> I saw just for a moment its effect as it approached me. And I'm going to tell you, I, I felt the power and I heard it and I thought, man, you know what I've come to understand for most of us? Yeah, you, no matter how tough you think you are. Most Americans have more respect for an approaching storm than they do a returning all-powerful king who spoke this universe into existence in six days, who thunders his decrees, who is so sovereign, he knows it all, he sees it all, and it continues to operate because of him. Hurricane Ian, as everybody made their preparation, I thought, how many are prepared for a king when he comes ashore? This Jesus Christ. You're out there today, and you say, you know what? I got better things to make book on. No, you don't. For when he comes through his power, you have to be on the right side of this, or he will destroy you forever. Look at what John does Look with me. There's such a low view today. Look at how he responds. When he, he sees Jesus Christ for who he really is in all of his power, he says in verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He responds with fear. He responds with humility. He doesn't respond with pride. He doesn't respond with arrogance. He sees Jesus Christ, and he crumbles and falls before him in fear and humility and look at how Jesus Christ responds when John does this he says when I saw him I felt his feet is dead and look at how this all-powerful king responds and he laid his right hand upon me the right hand speaks of favor the right hand speaks of blessing I think of something he touched me Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that flooded my soul. I meet people all the time that say this. Preacher, down south they really say this. I need a touch from God. Preacher, I need a touch from God. I need to hear from heaven. You want a touch from God? And you want to hear from heaven? You will have to humble yourself and fall down before this king. When you respond in fear and humility, he responds with grace and peace. Amen? He does. This is how I, as a young Marine, came to him. As he hung me over hell and showed me I deserved the judgment that I deserved. He offered me grace and peace, but only if I would turn from me and humble myself and turn to him. Amen? And when he did, this is interesting to me, all of that power that could have vaporized John, all of that power that could have cast him into hell and the lake of fire, all of that power that could have destroyed him, suddenly when John humbles himself, turns for him and is no longer against him. You see that? Look at what he says. He laid his right hand upon me, verse 17, and he spoke to me and said, Fear not, wow, 
for I am the first and the last. And John, verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And John, I've got something everybody wants. John, I have the keys of hell and death. I see the power pivot. Jesus never changes who he is. But John responds in a very humble way. And all of that power pivots and now is for John, not to destroy him, but to raise him from the dead. Amen? Not to kill him, but to quicken him. Y'all with me? I mean, all of this, this power of the king, which side of this power are you on this morning? Is he coming for you, or is he coming against you? It all depends on what you do with him now. That's the difference. You see, Jesus Christ changes not. He's the same yesterday today and forever he's the constant your choice is the variable i like what christ said and he's very very plumbing you rarely hear this verse quoted but it's found in 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 luke chapter 20 in verse 18 jesus christ has introduced himself as a chief cornerstone and listen to what he says about himself as the cornerstone he says this whosoever shall fall on that stone shall be broken that speaks of humility. Falling on the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Becoming a broken person before the king and beckoning for his mercy and forgiveness. Whosoever falleth on this stone, he shall be broken. But on whomsoever this stone shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Who is this king who's coming? He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the ending. He's the one which is and which was and forever shall be. He is the Almighty God in all of his glory, majesty, and power. He came as the Lamb of God, but he returns as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And where are you this morning in relationship to this stone? Can you point to a time where you crumbled before the king like John and cried out for mercy and forgiveness? You say, I need peace, preacher. I got no peace. Fall down before this king. Preacher, I need my sins forgiven. Fall down before this king. Preacher, I, I need bitterness removed. Fall down before this king. Preacher, I need, I need a blessing from God. Fall down before this king. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. He's it. He's it. I remember hearing the illustration years ago as I'm beginning to close this thought out of a a young man whose father owned a corporation and as with all corporations he had a an incredible legal team. And there was one particular lawyer that was just premier. This guy never lost a case. He was one of the most gifted lawyers in the entire nation, and the dad had procured him. He was on retainer with the company. And as most young boys, the kid was a bit of a squirrel, and in those teenage years, began to get in trouble and different problems. And he learned to reach for the lawyer. He learned to reach for his dad's attorney, and his dad's attorney would bail him out. He'd argue. He'd get him out of the fix and get him back, back going again. Time went on. The kid moved away, graduated, got married, moved across country. 
And for probably 10 years, really never kept in touch with anything or anybody other than his dad and his family. And one day in his 30s, he got himself in a lot of trouble. And he began to think, what am I going to do? Oh, he thought, my dad's attorney. That guy was the guy. Boy, I need his help. And so he calls back and he gets that attorney's number and he calls him up and he says, hey, how you doing? And the guy said, who's this? He said, well, I'm so, oh, I remember you, son. I remember you. He said, listen, I'm in trouble. and I'm going to need your help. I remember all those times you advocated for me. You were my mediator. You, you were my go-between. You made the difference. And, and he said, I'm here. here's the problem. Here's where I am now. And I, I need you. And I'd like to hire you on to represent me as a lawyer. On the other end of the phone, the man said this. He said, son, I'd love to do that, but I can't. And he said, well, why not? I've got money, and if I don't, dad will have it. He said, no, you, you don't understand. He said, I, I'm no longer a lawyer. I'm now a judge. I no longer plead the case of anybody. I rule and issue decrees based on law. And as much as I'd like to help you, I can't. I can no longer be your lawyer. I'd only be your judge. The Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. And call ye upon him while he is near. Some of you here today have no advocate. And yet there is one. There's only one mediator between God and man. He's the man Christ Jesus. He's the one to plead your case before a holy God. Amen? He, he's the one that will be there and plead your case and take the blows and even take your place. That's what he did at Calvary. But I'm going to tell you something. You spit on that. You spit on that. See, I wouldn't spit on that. Rejecting him is spitting on it. Let me tell you something. There will come a day you will so wish you'd hired him on. You will so wish you'd humbled yourself and just said, I'm a dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sinner. I need you as my Savior. You're going to so wish it. But when that day comes and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father, I'm going to tell you something. You, you, you can no longer hire him as your advocate. He'll stand as your judge. He's the judge of the quick and the dead. This is the ultimate fulfillment of who our King is. The songwriter said it well. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. For one day your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? You're here today without Christ as Savior. Three things you need to know. Number one, you need to realize your problem. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Second of all, you need to recognize his person. He's the Savior. He's got the keys. No one else has them. You want sprung from the grave and you want sprung from death and hell and you want sprung from the bondage of your sin, you're going to have to go to the one who's got the keys. His name is Jesus Christ. But thirdly, you must receive his provision. John tells us that he came unto his own, the Jew, Speaking of Jesus, and his own received him not. They just wanted a temporary Savior to rescue them from their circumstances. But he came to die for their sin. 
But as many as received him, ha, to them gave he power, authority, to become the sons of God. How do you receive him? Even to them that believe on his name, like boarding a ship. A king is coming. He's the king. If you're saved, he's your king. But if you're not saved, he wants to be your king. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. For one day your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. The portrait of our king. What do you see when you hear the name Jesus Christ? You say, I see a babe in a manger. I see a Jew who was crucified. I see a gentle shepherd. You better look again. He's bigger than that. You say, I see a humble servant and a man who died and a lamb who was sacrificed. Look again. He's bigger than that. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask three questions, and I just want you to raise your hand or not. Number one, do you realize your problem? You are a dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sinner. You say out there today, you say, Preacher, I realize my problem. I realize my problem. And to testify to that, I'm going to slip my hand up and admit I'm a sinner. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You say, I'm a sinner. Amen. You realize your problem. Amen. But here's the second question Do you recognize his person? When you die, there's no church that can get you out of the grave. Churches don't resurrect. There's no religious leader, even your pastor. They, they don't have the power to resurrect you. They don't hold the keys. There's only one that's got the keys. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Do you recognize this person? Say, yes, I know he's, my, I know he's the Savior. Raise your hand. Say, he's the Savior. He's it. He's it. Now here's question three. Preacher, I know I'm a sinner. I realize and recognize his person. He's the Savior. He's the one who can save me. Here's question three. Have you ever received his provision? Have you ever trusted him as Savior? Raise your hand and said, yep, he's my Savior. He's my Savior. Go ahead and put your hands down. Isn't it interesting? I watched some, and I just want to say this. When I was a young Marine, I raised my hand for the first one. I knew I was a sinner. There were things I hoped no one would ever find out about. Number two, I knew that Bible was true, and it said Jesus was the only way to heaven, and I knew John 3.16. I raised my hand. But you know what? Like some of you, I could not say I'd ever received his provision and knew I had eternal life. Here's the verse I want you to hear. And this is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Then listen to this promise. This is what got my soul. These things that were written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. I was struck by the fact you could know where you were going when you died. And the best I had was hoping 
I would go, I didn't know. So his heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I've watched the congregation. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand as the music plays after I pray. And if you said, I recognize the first two, but that third one, I can't tell you the day I ever received him as Savior. This can be your day. There are men up here that will deal with men. Ladies, deal with ladies. You say, but that, that's kind of embarrassing. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Listen, if you don't know for sure you're going to heaven when you die, I wouldn't let a little pride get in the way of that. Like John, I'd humble myself and get some help. To you that are in the military, you want to pass final inspection. You do not want to fail it. And you don't have to. God gave his best so you can pass. Don't be so proud that you won't go ahead and check in with the IG and find out what they're looking for. Get some help. It's your soul. Mind secure in Jesus. I'm trying to show you how to escape this war and the future wrath of God and have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you for this thought. I pray that you would just speak to hearts, Lord, first for your people. Lord, if they're exhibiting through their attitudes and their activities, through their lips and through their life, a low view of Jesus Christ. I pray that, Father, this moment, this message today has lifted them up to consider who this Savior really is. And, Father, they'd fall down before him and rise up living a high life for Jesus Christ. But then, Lord, I pray for those that and many raised their hand on those first two questions but could not raise their hand for the third. Not secure. Never received Jesus. Lord, when we stand the music plays, help them to drop their pride and just come and get some help. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Music's playing. Go ahead and sing that song, my brother. What? 32. Page 32. Let's sing it. If you need some help, come down. Come down and meet me. I'll Around direct you some. With many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and Sing another verse. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Rich wounds yet visible above. In beauty glorified. No angel in the I'm going to sing it with you. Here we go. 
Last verse. Crown him the Lord of heaven, one with the Father known, one with the Spirit through him, him from yon no throne to thee be endless praise. God's people said I'm going to have your pastor close the service as he sees fit I do want to say if you're visiting if you're not sure of your eternity you come talk to me I'll be happy to share what Jesus can do for you he did it for me amen and uh, pastor you come you dismiss us as you see fit all right brother Doty would you come up here I'm going to have you close this in a word of prayer but before we do that let me say this to you. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been exposed to something like this where the gospel was presented to you straightforward, an invitation was given, and, uh, and, and you realize now, according to the Word of God, He has an expectation that you make a decision about this. And maybe for whatever reason you couldn't bring yourself to come forward this morning, but let me encourage you. If you still got questions, if you're still concerned, see one of us right out in the foyer or right after we say the last amen here. We're here to help you. And uh, come back. Come back. Um, I didn't get saved first time I heard the gospel. I wish I could stand here and tell you that I did. It took a while. Maybe that's your case. Maybe God's speaking to you today. You need to get it done today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't know if you got tomorrow. None of us have that assurance. But either way, stay in pursuit. Stay in pursuit because the day's going to come. Boy, I like that illustration. That really lays it out there. He could be your advocate now. But if you don't receive him before you die, he'll be your judge later. And you don't want that. You want him to be your advocate now. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus Brother Doty, please close us in a word of prayer. We'll see you again tonight at 545, brother. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. and All these words that we heard about the King and the Savior and the goodness, and God, all that is true. But Father, I fear the day when you come and there'll be many that he said that can't even hear the voice because his voice will be so predominant. Lord, that he'll be, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So, Father, those who heard the word of God this morning that are not sure whether they know Jesus as their Savior, Father, they need to ask, whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, Father, we just pray, Father, that seed was sown today in hearts. And for those who we have heard this message, God, oh, Lord, what an encouragement to know that you are coming back and you are King of King and Lord of Lords. And we, we do in fear look forward to that great and terrible day. So Father, be with us as we go forth out of this auditorium, uh, just rejoicing that you are King of King and Lord of Lords. And be with us and guide and direct us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.